Okay, we are on here at Little Beaver Brewery. Make sure the mic's picking up. Okay, it is. It's going. All right. Today, we're, I have invited over my friend, Lyndon McGriff. Hey, Lyndon, how you doing? Doing great, Tyson. How are you doing today? I am awesome. Uh, I see you take my recommendation there for, for what you're drinking. How's that treating you? Oh, man, this is a really good uh, sour. It's the Lord of the Peach Rings. It's really good. Uh, it was hard to choose which beverage to choose today. They had also a rubberry pie hole, so... I might try that later on as well. Yeah. They haven't done a lot of sours before, so I was glad to see they're getting into that. So. I don't know if I should admit this and save it on the internet, but I actually have two beers in front of me right now because I had lunch here with my parents, so I had a, had a Little Beaver Burger. Listeners of the podcast will know that Little Beaver Burger is one of my, is my favorite. Um, and uh, so my parents stopped by for a burger too, and they didn't finish all of their lager lager. So I got that in front of me. It's not my, it's not my personal favorite, but my dad loves it, so I'm going to finish his off because I don't want to let beer go to waste. Hey, and then I'm also drinking a Wainbow's too, so I'll I'll uh, I'll have it be a little bit more traditional with the lager first, and then I'll go with the more more flavorful hoppy uh, IPA there. So that's that's what I'm doing. So uh, thanks for coming by, a Little Beaver Brewery. Uh, a lot of people probably don't know you, but uh, I thought just you have a lot of jobs. And I find all your jobs really interesting. And usually when I'm trying to talk to you about your jobs, there's six kids running all over the place yelling. So I just thought having some time just to sit down and talk would be really cool. So um, so which, which one do you want to start off with first? <laughs> so you're a, uh, you're a farm. I guess you only really have two jobs right now, right? You got the pharmacy job, at, at, you got the COVID shot job, and you got the your, your day job, right? Right. So, yeah. Um, but in the past, you've been a, a pharmacist, a retail pharmacist. Yep. So, um, so you're the guy back behind the counter at the CVS or the Walgreens. <laughs> so tell, tell what what is life like for a retail pharmacist? Well, I got into I've been in pharmacy uh, about 18 years now. Uh, you know, a little bit more uh, in two decades, which is kind of crazy to talk about and say that two decades. That makes me feel really, really old. Yeah, we're getting there. <laughs> <laughs> Every day I, I you know, check the mirror and sometimes I see a little bit more gray and less dark. And I, You should have kept the beard, man. I like the gray and the beard. That was, well, that was working know, for me. I'm coming out to, again, you know, I'm, I'm calling it that I'm going to be uh, having my S&P. And I'm like, S&P? That's a salt and pepper, baby. <laughs> 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 so... Um, yeah, I started out in 2003. Um, I started as a technician, really, in a very high-volume store in, in Dallas. We were doing about 700 prescriptions at that time. Mm-hmm. and 700 a day? 700 a day. Okay. Uh, 700 prescriptions a day in 2003, which is, at that time, a lot. Um, so I got my feet wet with that. Uh, went to pharmacy school at Creighton University. Then... Um, did that for four years, and then I started my practice in 2007. Mm-hmm. I'm actually here in Peoria. So um, I was in retail for 13 years. I uh, started at Walgreens, which uh, great mentors, great people. Uh, I was in Peoria, Galesburg, Macomb, Monmouth, Bloomington, uh, Canton. And then uh, my wife and I started to think about family. 
So in 2010, I came to Bloomington with CVS, and uh, I was a manager of uh, the one on Fell Street. Okay. Uh, that's a lot of moves. Is that a is that a normal thing? Is that a normal thing for a pharmacist? You guys kind of loan guns going from shop to shop, or was that other life situations that was drawn you around? When you start out in pharmacy, you are kind of like a loan gun. You're a floater. Okay. And so um, sometimes you can get like one or two stores that you're at. Um, so you do like three days at one store, four days at another store. Um, then. Sometimes you are just a floater. You're in a floater pool. So, say for instance, on Monday, you're in Bloomington. And Tuesday, you're supposed to be in Bloomington. And they'll call you Tuesday uh, morning and say, hey, instead of Bloomington, you're in Canton. Okay. So, you have to be um, flexible, agile to be able to pivot. Um, It's a lot of, like, mental gymnastics uh, because you can be at one store and then halfway through your shift, if something happens... You have to go to another store to help them out. Okay. So, um, so that, and that has to do with the stores. I'm assuming like the the volume that they're putting through, who they got on staff to handle it. Like people need their medicine now, right? They can't wait, so they got to move people around. Exactly, and things happen. You know, somebody could have an accident. Somebody can get um, sick in the middle of the ship, and so they have to cover it. Um, when I came into the area, we had a, a shortage of pharmacists. Um, they had to cover shifts with just minimal pharmacists. Now, uh, 2021, there's a oversupply of pharmacists. Oh, okay. So some of the new grads actually are having a hard time finding placement, which is kind of uh, exciting, but at the same time a little scary. Uh, it's a love of the pharmacy that people are coming to, but we have so many schools of pharmacy that they have saturated the the field yeah and there's not a lot of people that are retiring now when i came in there was a lot of people retiring there wasn't enough coming in so the supplies are at a all-time high yeah so you said the love of pharmacy what's the maybe i should have started there <laughs> what is, what's the, what is the love of pharmacy what what, what uh, gave you that bug where you want to live this life so the love of pharmacy for me was uh it actually started with my grandmother okay so I'm 39, and when I was about nine years old, I would spend a lot of time with my grandmother. She lived down the street from me, and she was a diabetic. She had high blood pressure. She had didn't have high cholesterol, but was having a lot of complications from diabetes. And so she would have, like, on my holidays, I would go to the doctor's appointments with her. Mm. And she would what, have... What age were you on this time? I was nine. Nine. Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Eight, nine, ten yeah, years old. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would see that she had so many different physicians, but she only had one pharmacist. Hmm. And so uh, that one pharmacist had to coordinate all of the things that the physicians were doing and distill it into a way that she could understand it. And so she was. the pharmacist was so accessible to her that I said, you know, I really wanted to do medicine originally, uh, but I wanted to have a, a family life. Mm-hmm. And at that time, you know, I didn't have any, like, true uh, mentors as in medicine or in the professions. Uh, growing up in inner city Dallas, you know, I didn't have that, that many uh, mentors like that at that time. So... Uh, 
someone had suggested pharmacy. And I actually went and shadowed a pharmacist who owned his own pharmacy mm-hmm. for, I want to say he owned it for about 40 years, independent pharmacy in Dallas, and he became my mentor. And I kept in contact with him until he passed away a couple years ago. Uh, but that love of pharmacy, love of the patients, it's, it's not about the drugs, really. Mm-hmm. It's about the patients. Helping people. Um, yeah. That connection. And uh, some pharmacists like hands-on, some like a standard, a, a way approach. But both of them still love the, the patients. Yeah. And I'm more hands-on. It's just my personality. I love people. I love connecting with people. Um, you know, I've been outside of retail now for about five years. And I recently came back with the COVID vaccines mm-hmm. uh, to help out more. And when I went into one of the pharmacies that I was working with, I saw a patient who I hadn't seen for five years. And I walked through the door and he's like, where have you been? <laughs> you know, how many times, you know, can you have a connection? Mm-hmm. You know, I saw this gentleman, you know, once a month, twice a month, for about four years. So you get that connection. But then I haven't seen him for six years. And he still knew me by face and was excited to see me. So that just makes it so much more. It's the connection with people. Uh, and pharmacy is what you, what you make of it. You can yeah. connect with people or you can not connect with people. You can be the drug expert only or you can be a drug expert. You can be a patient advocate. You can be um, the confidant. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had, you know, friends who have called me, family members called me in the middle of the night. Hey, Lyndon. I got this uh, child that needs some medication. What's the dose? You know, and it's, it's part of my love. I just, I love being there for my friends and just for my patients. I can think of a few times in particular when I've done that. <laughs> when I have personally done that, too. <laughs> it's like, hey, I, can, I, can I just squirt some over-the-counter stuff in this eye, or do I need to go to somewhere more, more particular? So, yeah. You're like, uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's great. To, I feel like that's kind of... That's something that I find really missing in a lot of medical care is that being being treated like a person. You know, that you feel like somebody shows up, you're one of 20 appointments they have that hour. You know, they're just they don't even look you in the eye the whole time. They're just looking down at their tablet or their computer, or their piece of paper. And uh, you know, that that story you told about your grandma is interesting to me because. Like, someone's got to coordinate that care, right? Mm-hmm. Of course, the general practitioner is going to be coordinating it. Right. But pharmacists has got to be thinking, like, oh, if this person over here does this medicine, this person over here does this medicine, those two together, that's a, that's a deadly combination. I can't be doing that, right? There's a lot of trust being put in that that person to, to, to be that filter, right? <laughs> yes. So. And it's, it's, it's a finesse, too. You have to... Um, I respect all of my practitioners and my physicians that you know I interact with, um, and you have to present it, you know, in a way that you're not overstepping your bounds, yeah, and you're not being over forceful. But uh, it's, it's a point of compromise, uh, you know. I've been married now for 13 years, been in a relationship for 18 years. You have to learn how to compromise. Uh-huh. Uh, there are things that you will push for more and things you won't and you have to just know your boundaries and what you're able to do and so I think just interacting with people Mm -hmm. 
you have to know that. So if you if you saw something strange come across your desk, right? Do you discuss that with the patient first, or do you contact the physician who like issued the prescription and talk it over with them? Like, how does that work? Professional courtesy, you always want to talk to the physician. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've had it many times where I've had I found like an issue with something. Uh, you know, one time I saw that the physician had ordered this one medication. And there's two or three medications for this particular instance. And I said, oh, uh, you know, the, the limit of this is X. No, it should be Y. I'm like, no, it's X. And he's like, wait a minute. Which medication are we talking about? We're we talking about A, B, or C. And I said, oh, we're talking about A. Oh, I thought we were talking about B. But you connect with them, and then there's no harm that's going to the patient. Yeah. You connect together. And when you had a professional connection, you listen. And there's no, like, condemnation on it that's happening. There's no uh, accusation that's going on. You're trying to do right by the patient. You're trying to do right yeah. by the patient. And uh, nine times out of ten, the physician will say, you know what, let's go ahead and change that. And we'll keep going and we're going to monitor the patient. Yeah. Uh, and can that's... You, little, uh, pharmacist pop quiz. Can you, can, you name, <laughs> can you name two medications that are, like... Normal medications perfectly fine to take separately, but if someone was to take them together, there's like bad news bears going on. <laughs> um, if not, that's cool. I just thought it'd be. You can do uh, well right now. Warfarin and fluconazole. Okay. So a patient who, say for instance, you have a patient who has a blood clot, okay. who is a, you know, most of the time young ladies get more. Um, fungal infections than men in the, nat- the normal population. Um, and this is a normal medication that they get. Uh, but at the same time, if they had blood clots. So say you finish, you had a 35-year-old young lady who comes in. Uh, she's on blood um, clot medication, warfarin, because she, you know, um, is post-COVID and she now has blood clots for okay. the remainder of X, Y, and Z. Um, and then she also... You know, took some antibiotics, and now she has to take uh, fluconazole. Normally, like, oh, okay, no problem. But those two medications, uh, the fluconazole actually makes the warfarin works stronger, so you become more thin. And like, if you cut yourself or scrape yourself, you have a higher chance of bleeding. Okay. So that's one of those like. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> you passed the quiz. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, I feel like I, I got you off on a tangent from the original thing we were talking about. So, 2010, you came here to Bloomington. You're, uh, you're doing retail pharmacy then. So, right. Uh, retail working, community. Uh-huh. You're working. Uh, so, we've all, most of us have had this, right? You're the person behind the desk. You got a bunch of worker bees like you know swarming all around you different little bags are clipping together and stuff like that so um so just what's that what's that experience like what's it like being back there behind the counter it's um there's so many different niches for pharmacy so you have community pharmacy you have hospital pharmacy um uh, inpatient clinical pharmacy so you can do icu you can do uh, surgery you can do infectious disease there's like board certifications for seven different uh, certifications. Um, you can go into business, you can go into academics, 
Um, I think about academics, research. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm a, a mentor and a teacher for Creighton University as well. So every year I send out like a pamphlet that has like uh, say 40 different roles that the pharmacists can do. Okay. So uh, pharmacy is very diverse. Uh, it's not just that one part, but in the community setting, you have to be a, a pharmacist, a technician. A uh, insurance adjuster. Mm. Oh yeah. Uh, with billing, you also have to be a counselor. Uh, you have to be a manager. Uh, you have to be. Well, you just have like hats. straight up, and you just have straight up just normal customer service type stuff, right? Exactly. Like, some upset. <laughs> someone's upset because their credit card's not working, right? You know. Um, and so, um, yeah. you know, at any point in time, yes, you're the manager of that particular pharmacy at that one time. Um, you have to, uh, you know, what a normal day would be, go in, uh, we have cues, you know, those are medications that have come in overnight uh, that needs to be done at a certain time. About what time were you showing up? Uh, say, for instance, you come in at this, uh, 8 to, you know, 8 o'clock shift. Okay. Uh, so you weren't coming in, like, absurdly early in this particular role? You would come in probably about 30 minutes ahead of time. Okay. Um, just to set up, because at 8 o'clock, you're People facing start. the public. Yeah. yeah. Okay. At 8 o'clock, you're facing the public, and you need to be ready to face the public. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you would, you know, coordinate with your technician, or one or two, to see exactly you got stations. And uh, all of the big retail stores, uh, Walgreens, CVS, Hy-Vee, um, I know there's others as well, but those like some big ones, Walmart, uh, they have a flow sheet. And so you actually have a flow of how to prepare things so that your day will flow better. Okay. Because um, at any point in time, you can have a hiccup that throws off the flow. Gotcha. So, um, you know, setting up and getting the prescriptions ready for the person who's, like, if you have a prescription you need to be picked up at 3 o'clock, mm-hmm. it's a ready fill. You know, at 3 o'clock, you need to have it ready. Yeah. You know, you don't want to come to the, the pharmacy at 3 o'clock and it's not ready. Uh, that was one of my good mentors, uh, Bob Terry. Give you a shout-out, man, at Walgreens. Uh, he said, you know, take care of all of the things up front first. Um, you have to wear many hats. Um, sometimes in the pharmacy, when you start out, you just want to start on a pharmacy hat. But you also have to be that technician as well. So helping the technician, you know, getting set up and then you can do your job you know you're verifying and making sure that the medications are correct there's several verification steps that's probably about three to four verification steps for the pharmacist alone mm-hmm. uh, total about eight steps um, in the whole process and it's just to protect the patient are those things that are the practices of the of the company or is that like regulated are there laws around the steps or where those steps come from the regulations of the laws are open it's up to each um, company okay to you know set okay you're gonna do production you're gonna do verification yeah Uh, CVS actually has it like we have two people there what are the duties you have three people there you have to do this you have four people there it breaks them down so that each person knows which role they're going to go into. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, I hadn't thought about that 
I, mean, I pick my pharmacy just based on proximity to my house. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't do any research at all about what their verification and quality control practices were. I didn't think at all about like meeting the pharmacist to you know to understand the staff and the things that they have. I just <laughs> just sort of assume everything's gonna go however it goes, and, right? That's, and that's the that's the beauty of it. It's the magic behind the pharmacy. You know, you come in, you drop off, and you come back. There's a lot of inner workings that are happening. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, you remind me of uh, Sesame Street. The people of your neighborhood, uh, sure. they would come on, you know, every so often. These are the people in your neighborhood. Yeah. And I think it was probably about, well, with the kids, I was reintroduced to Sesame Street. I would say about five years ago. And there was actually a pharmacist. Oh. So if you go on, like, YouTube, it is to see the pharmacist. Uh, Sesame Street. Okay. And it's, it's kind of interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I bet they haven't gotten around to the actuary one yet. No one watched that episode. <laughs> These are the people in your neighborhood. Yeah. In your neighborhood. In your neighborhood. There are a lot of insurance professionals in our neighborhood, so I feel like maybe if if they don't have that, maybe I should put hook that up. Hey, you know, yeah. they just turned 50, so they might be interested in something new. Yeah. <laughs> so I imagine that's a pretty hectic day and also largely a pretty uncertain day in, uh, in, in retail, right? Like, you're probably, you're moving all the time, you're on your feet, like, things, especially at a busy place, like Walgreens, scripts coming in, medicine going out. Um, like, you're, you're probably... Uh, you're probably pretty tired at the end of that. It's um, it depends, and it's it can be stressful, but it just depends on how you deal with stress. Uh, retail is not for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, it's a special niche for people to do retail. Um, special niche for people to do hospitals. Uh, you know, you can have a stressful day of like the computer's going down, and it's the Monday before Thanksgiving. That's stressful. But you also have in hospital when you have three code blues and you know a patient expires, and then you have you know several other patients who become septic, which is a a deadly infection which can lead to death. So it just depends on how you deal with stress, yeah, and how you interact with people. Uh, you know, in your world, you know, in the actual world. You have different stresses than I. Yeah. Uh, you have deadlines. And if you know that you have this hard deadline and, you know, the individuals that are under you do not meet those deadlines. Yeah. Oh, goodness. <laughs> Something's wrong. Yeah. Uh-uh, we- <laughs> it's, my, my work environment, except for a brief, I did two years in a, a place that was customer facing. But the other 13 years of my career, I've always been in places that are back office. Mm-hmm. And um, we tend to just have a to-do list. And there are definitely deadlines, but it is extremely rare when, like, something has to be done at Monday at 3. Usually it's, like, it's got to be done sometime this week. Uh-huh. And if someone, like, if there's some real problem, okay, it can be done next week. It's fine. It's not, no one, not, nothing's going to suffer for it. <laughs> and I find some people, uh, I really like that because then I can be self-motivated, right? I can bring my own initiative to the job. Uh, but if something comes up, like, hey, I want to take Monday off then I can do it mm-hmm. and then really it just means I have to do more work on either Friday or Tuesday because there's no one else doing my work for me so I can take that time off it's just like I do my stuff sometime right I like that I've seen some people who just 
really struggle in that kind of environment because mm-hmm. there'll be people who will say to me, like, so when does this have to be done? And I'll say, like, well, Friday would be great. And they're like, well, why Friday? And I was like, I don't know. I made up a date because it needs to get done sometime. Well, could it be done Monday? Yeah, sure. I mean, if you need till Monday, do you think you need till Monday? And they're like, ah, they just can't. <laughs> they can't handle it. It's like, I just need a quality product delivered sometime this month. And you do it whenever you think you need to. But if you take too long, all your other stuff's going to go crazy, too. Yeah, it's, um, it's the abstract and the concrete. Those yeah, are two different worlds. Yeah. So I, I find the, like, <laughs> I find, like, real rigid short-term deadlines, I find that really hard to manage personally. Um, other people, I imagine, that just really works very well for them, right? It's like, I know what I'm doing. Like, bam, bam, it's coming in. I got to get this stuff done today. Like, this person's coming in at three. I got to get this thing done, right? Well, so. that's just the nature of people. And, you know, if yeah. you... You know, you go back to um, Adelix Huxley, A Brave New World. You know, you have Alpha like a, Beta. Is that like required pharmacy reading? Uh, Give pills is, to everybody. <laughs> <laughs> That's back in uh, my undergrad days with biochemistry and mathematics. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you know, you have the Alpha, Beta, Gamma, and Delta, and Epsilon. And mm-hmm. each person has the amount that they can take care of. Yeah. Um, and they understood that everybody's not the same. So for you personally, how did that pressure go with you, like that uh, that retail pace of life? Um, you did re- it for a while, right? You did it for like 10 years? 13 years. 13 years. Okay. So 13 years, um, I found a niche, and I understood how to engage with individuals, um, how to delegate, because if you try to do it all yourself, that's impossible. You have to know how to write people in the right place. And sometimes when, you know, I was a manager for nine of those years, um, you have to try to figure out is this person in the right place at the right time Mm -hmm. and you can uh, gauge that and sometimes as a manager you have to step in and say I see this is not a strength of yours yeah let's try something else and uh, so it may seem like chaos but it's organized chaos Mm -hmm. Uh, that's just life you know rain is chaos but then the, the puddle is uh, organized chaos, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I love that leadership philosophy, by the way, too. It's, I share that with the people that I work with, that um, everyone has passions, everyone's got talents, everyone's got strengths. Those don't necessarily align with the specific thing that they're doing right now. Mm-hmm. And so my my first goal, if someone's not being successful, is can, how can we find a place for them to be successful? Right. Um, other people have more of a like in or out, like sink or swim type thing. I, I think that's a very, it's a limited view of of, uh, of people, I guess. Uh, and sometimes it's not with the organization, right? <laughs> I've had two people report to me that, uh, you know, after talking to them a bit, they decided, uh, you know, there wasn't a place for them at State Farm. Right. That's that's fine too. Like I want them to be successful. I want them to be adding value to, to places where they are. And if that's not in the particular place they are right now, you know, we, we can help them on their way. And that's what you, you have to really look at that as you know, in general, as I, I I'm about people. Uh, if you haven't gotten that yet, yeah, I'm yeah. about people, about people, about people. And which is probably yeah, like you said, it's, it's not true of everyone. You know, like there's a lot of math in what you do. There's a lot of science in what you do. It's yep. not always going to attract kind of people who are into focused on on individual folks on people yeah so. and that's my like my undergrad is in biochemistry and mathematics you know but I also uh, have a like a concentration in leadership and uh, just got bored so I did Japanese as well 
<laughs> so like, uh, that's probably the, probably the least useful so far. But um. actually, I actually used it a lot. Um, oh, you did? Okay. I actually went to Japan and did uh, independent study uh, back in grad, uh, right before grad school. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, when we were talking about the individuals, you know, I had to have some hard conversation with individuals, and those hard conversations actually proved to be even better. Because even though they were no longer with the organization, they knew that they needed to step up to go to the next level. Mm-hmm. And I've actually been in contact with several of those individuals, and um, it's really interesting to see it, you know, because sometimes you feel like you're going to be the, the bad person. Yeah. And you're doing a disservice to them, but you actually are highlighting what they need to do, and they actually move, and they're growing, you know? Uh, one of my favorite quotes is from uh, St. Francis of Assisi. I got it from one of my uh, one of my mentors. Uh, it says, you know, start by doing what's necessary, then do what's possible, and suddenly you're doing the impossible. Okay. okay. So that's, you know, start by doing what's necessary, and then do what's possible, and suddenly you're doing the impossible. So if you start, you see something, you know, you start cleaning up the, the yard. You know, you start picking up the trash. Uh-huh. That's necessary. Then you got weeds, you know? And you start pulling the weeds and then you start trimming. That's possible. Mm-hmm. Next thing you know, you're designing, you know, landscaping art. And that's the impossible. And you're just doing the things that you know you're doing. So by addressing some of these things, you know, that the individuals are not doing mm-hmm. um, or need help with, you're doing that necessary thing. Then they start to do the possible, and then you start doing the impossible. Uh, when I left CVS in 2016, <laughs> you know, um, I was here in Bloomington. The, the pharmacy I was at was doing about 4,000 prescriptions a week. So you said before 700 was a lot when you were starting off. So now you're doing 4,000. Well, 700, yeah, it was like seven. 700 to 1200 a week. Yeah. And then here we were doing 4000 a week. Yeah. You know, 3500. Stuff's, you know, stuff's really grown. It's <laughs> much more of an organization there for sure. Yeah. yeah. So. So 2016 then, you've been doing that for 13 years. You're in leadership position. You know what you're doing. So why why make it, well, what did you make a change to and what motivated you to make that change? Well, um, so at that time, I, I you know, I've, I've managed, you know, several stores. You know, I've managed low-volume stores, high-volume stores. I've managed stores with high um, private insurance and high non-private insurance. Um, and I enjoyed the patients. Uh, but I had a, an opportunity opened up. That's, that's essentially an opportunity opened up to get more clinical. So I did, uh, I sent a specialty pharmacy with uh, hematology, and then uh, I've been in long-term acute care facility for the last four years. Mm-hmm. Uh, at our pharmacy, well, at the hospital, it's a small ICU, like 28-bed ICU unit. What's the name of it? Kindred Hospital. Kindred Hospital. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And so... Uh, we have about 20 ICU, essential ICU units. Uh, we have uh, critical patients who 
uh, come to our facility, one, for either wound care or to get weaned off of ventilators. It's kind of like, it's really interesting. Like when I got into the hospital pharmacy, it was kind of interesting because I did not know uh, the frailty of the body. I've, you know, I've been in pharmacy for 13 years and I've seen people in and out, but to see the f- full frailty of the body, mm-hmm. uh, when your lungs, when you're on a ventilator and you're not able to breathe on your own, your lungs lose its function of how to do it within seven days. Hmm. Yeah, this, this is one of the things you told me about that I just found absolutely fascinating because you've got on TV where somebody's just, you know, in bed, they've been in a coma for, you know, a year or something, and they just, like, wake up and take the breathing tube out, and then all of a sudden they're talking to everybody, right? So, like, seven days, like, if, so... If you're on a ventilator for about minimum seven days, uh-huh. um, then your body needs to learn how to breathe. And so, at Kindred, we... It takes about 28 days. It's a full process of, like, weaning. Mm-hmm. So we have a respiratory team, uh that weans the patients off of the ventilator. Then they have to wean them to make sure that they can breathe off the ventilator. Then they have to make sure they can breathe with um, a trach that is um, occluded or, or stopped so they can breathe in and out without a lot of secretions. So, it, you know, average 28 days, but it can be a lot longer. Uh, you know, especially like we have patients who come in for who have traumatic brain injuries, who you know have ground level falls. Somebody just fell into head. Mm-hmm. You know, we see that all the time. Um, somebody's on a motorcycle or in a car accident. Um, people who have cardiac issues, a heart attack or a stroke, who you know goes in for um, the hospital, or someone who goes in for an elective procedure um, that don't come out correctly and it, it just opened my eyes so much yeah to that yeah. yeah it's really not something that you that I've ever thought about before before meeting you it, I mean we, we I knew you before you went in the same but <laughs> before talking to you about your experiences and with it's like you know motorcycle accident someone hits their head on the pavement okay you know in my mind they go to the hospital, they've got some injuries, maybe they're knocked out for a while, but eventually they, if they recover, you know, eventually they recover, they leave the hospital, they go back home, right? Right. But that process can take a really long time. Oh, even like a, a ground level fall. So say for instance, you know, you and I are 70 years old, you know, and I'm running up the, the basement steps and I slip and I hit my head. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a ground level fall you know I wasn't doing anything you know and I just jump up and keep going but then all of a sudden now I need to be you know I go home I sleep I have a brain bleed Mm -hmm. and then next thing I know it's two months and I'm waking up at Kindred yeah you know it's it's a it's a very very eye-opening I've learned about life and death a lot mm-hmm. um, how precious it is and how you know the decisions that you have to make are really hard 
and a lot of times people go through life without worrying about the decisions. Um, I think this past year uh, has opened our eyes a lot more. Um, when I started at Kindred uh, four years ago, I started conversations with my parents and my spouse about, you know, end of life for me. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. you're, you know, you're young, you're 35, and you don't think about it. But there are a lot of patients who last year and right now are young, and their families have had to make these hard decisions. And once you see, you know, the quality of life from people who cannot make that decision, and, you know, I, I, one of the things I say to the nurses and the staff, and <laughs> I'm like, your patients were, didn't think they are going to be here two months ago. You do not know where you're going to be two months from now. Yeah. So that's, that's one thing you got to think about is how do you want to be that person? What do you want to do for that person? Because two months ago, they were walking around with their loved ones, mm-hmm. you know? And I think with this current pandemic that has come to light, but at the same time, people are forgetting that again. You know, once the doors have opened up, they're like, oh, wow, it's, it's exciting time to get out. But you've forgotten everything that was happening. I think one of the things you can't do is forget the things that we have had in the past. Yeah. Acknowledge them. Don't stick in the past. I'm just like, oh, my goodness, it's bad. But acknowledge them and keep going. Um, in light of it, but don't take things for granted. You know, um, now well, and like it's it's really good perspective too about. Um, uh, I've got a good, I've got a good friend. We went, he went through something really hard about ten years ago, and uh, it's kind of funny. He he swears I said it. I swear he said it. So we just jointly credit ourselves for this knowledge. <laughs> this is why I always bring it. But. Um, and we've gone through a lot of hard things in the last 15 years. But uh, something we remind ourselves of is that if if money can fix a problem, it's not that big of a problem. Um, you know, barring, uh, you know, an ungodly amount of money. But, right. right, you know, like I I backed my car into the garage door, right? Makes you mad. You're frustrated. You're grumpy. <laughs> you're not. You know, it's just like just mad at yourself. Oh, did, you know. Ultimately, what's the problem, though? It's like you got to scrape together enough money to fix the garage door, fix your car, and then in five years, probably not even going to think about that anymore, right? That's true. Um, and there, but there's just there's things that happen to people where no amount of money is going to fix that thing. You're going to lose a loved one. You're going to have a permanent injury. Um, nope. You're going to damage a, a friendship, damage a relationship. And uh, those are the things you got to watch out for. And mm-hmm. uh, that's you know, true. Just when they're happening, you got to got to really lean on your faith. You got to lean on your your family. That's so and, true, um, man. I mean, that's that's every day for you, right? <laughs> it's every day these people who I'm sure they're I'm sure the people on those beds, the people who love them, would pay any amount of money to have them be back to how they were before, right? Exactly. No matter money, you know, <laughs> if you could take that time, you know. You can add that extra time. Just one thing I've recently thought about is like every day is a new day. Uh, you you know, with my faith, you know, you lay down. It's not guaranteed that you're gonna wake up the next morning. Mm-hmm. And that's what my grandmother told me. And then I, as a kid, you're like, oh, okay, yeah, I'll wake up tomorrow. You know, mm-hmm. but now you're like, wow, will I wake up tomorrow? Mm-hmm. You know, and you don't you don't worry about that. But each day that you wake up. It's a new day, 
and the things that happened yesterday, they happened yesterday. They're in the past, you know? If you made some wrongs, try to amend those wrongs. If you made somebody mad, try to amend that mad, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, but the good things you did, chop them up yesterday. Today you do more good things. Yeah. <laughs> well, I did good things yesterday, Dad. Yeah. Well, that's great. Yeah, you can do more good things today. Oh, it's never ending, right? Every day you have a new beginning. And you got to utilize that new beginning. Yeah. Because if you don't, what happened to that whole day? Are you, are you able to leave work at work? I feel like if put myself in your shoes again, thinking about the fit of your personality, I just, I just feel like I'd be just, I'd bring that stress home all the time. I'd be like, you know, if you lose someone on a certain day, or if you're wondering if you made the right choice on something, and. Um, is it, do you, how do you not let that eat at you? Um, me, it's faith. Um, you know, I believe in God, and you know He has amazing abilities to protect me and protect the ones I I serve. Um, at the same time, I got to keep moving. I cannot stop. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, I have patience that are on my mind. You know, I'm not I'm not cold-hearted. Um, but, you know, when I'm thinking about uh, 7,000 prescriptions, you know, or whatever, uh, there are certain ones that I remember. Uh, some that I call the next day, I write them down. Uh, try to leave work at work, but being on call, you have to, you know, still think about what's going on. Yeah. Uh, have to analyze it, too, because it's a partnership or a group effort. You know, it's not just you. You're not just the only one. It's a group effort that everybody's working together. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you've got what other um, mentioned in that group effort? So there's there's doctors, I'm sure, at Kindred Hospital. So mm-hmm. kind of who's your who's your team that you work with? Then? Um, well, I work with practitioners, the physicians, the nurses, uh, other pharmacists, the nurse supervisors, okay. uh, nurse managers, and so when you're working with each other. You know, you can bounce things off of each other. And, you know, there's, it's a lot of gray area. It's not always black and white. Uh, but there's some, a lot of compromises, as you know, talked about before. There's compromise that you can do. Mm-hmm. And trying to be the best for the patient. You know, if it's something that's going to injure the patient, let's take care of it now. If it's something that we can uh, mitigate by taking care of the patient or changing some things, we can change those things. Mm-hmm. Do they think things need to be changed right now? Okay, I'll be right there. But if we can take wait till tomorrow, we can wait till tomorrow. No, um, yeah. Um, another thing I remember you mentioned to me is the impact that obesity has on aggregating on aggravating um, conditions too. Yeah, you see people who are it's like they're too heavy to get well and then they just end up getting heavier and it, that can health has you know it's, it's underlying is basically health um, how healthy are you are you active you know are you able to do you know ma- manipulate in your own body you know um, when you're not able to manipulate in your own body if you can't you know do certain things for yourself you have to be the one to say wait a minute I can't do this I need more help I need to either have you know, intervention from, you know, osteo, you know, knees or hips. A lot of things happen like that. 
And that just happens as we age. But you have to take awareness of yourself. You have to be aware of yourself because you're the only one that knows what's happening in your body. You know, uh, if there's something happening in my body, you know, I'm, I got that bad gene now. You know, like, okay, I can push through it. I can push through it. I can push through it. But how far can I push it? Um, if I don't feel up, and I don't feel like, you know, before COVID and everything, you know, I was like, okay, I feel like I got 10% reserve. I can push it out, you know? <laughs> now I listen to my body. I'm like, I'm down to 50%, you know, 60, 60%, you know? Yeah. Reserve. Yeah. Something's not right. Let me check in with my physician. You know, you need to have a relationship with your physician. If you don't have uh, a, a primary care physician and a pharmacist, you know, you need to have those. Not that you're going all the time, but you have to you know, go there to get checked in. You know, mm-hmm. check in with your dentist. Uh, you know, you're like, oh, I got this tooth that's hurting. Oh, yeah, something's wrong with it, you know? Oh, you have, you have an abscess. Wow, if you've you know, been to your dentist, you know, for your annual or biannual routine checking, you know, you might be able to stop that. If you yeah. go to your physician, getting your baselines, you know, so many people don't go in for baselines, and then they go in when something's wrong, and the next thing you know, you have stage four pancreatic cancer, and you're 47 years old. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just had an upset stomach. These are like real world things that happen. Um, men in general, you need to, you know, prostate, you know, testicular, prostate, pancreatic, stomach cancer. We gotta, we gotta be aware of that. Yeah. Uh, you know, you gotta start moving. If you see that you're, you know, gaining weight, I've, you know, for COVID, I've gained some weight. And I said, okay, Linda, you need to move. So I started moving more, and I feel a lot better. Mm-hmm. Uh, my bones don't hurt as much. They still hurt. You know, I'm knocking on the door 40. <laughs> So, <laughs> yeah. they, uh, I, when you said like about being a dad and not pushing yourself as much, I, it, I had a flashback to right after my son was born. I used, I used to play ultimate frisbee. I really enjoyed that a lot. Um, and uh, I twisted my ankle while I was doing it. I used to twist my ankle a lot playing basketball, so it wasn't really a big deal. I mean, it's not fun, but it's just something that happens to me. I got weak ankles. Mm-hmm. But I twisted, my, I twisted my ankle, <laughs> and then I was laid up for three or four days. But the difference was I had a job, and I had a baby. And so, like, my my job doesn't just be like, oh, it's okay, it's okay. you can just lay on the couch for three days, right? I had, to go, I had to get up and do some stuff. And my son, you know, baby definitely is not going to just stop, right? Yep. So I, at that point, I was like, you know, I just, I, I got to make sure stuff like this doesn't happen to me anymore because it's not just, it's not just me anymore. It's not just some teenager living with his parents where they can come do everything, right? I got responsibilities and so I got to take care of my body and I got to make sure to be responsible with the activities I'm doing. And um, yeah, so that's, that's something that really motivates me to take care of my health is the fact that there's other people that rely on me. You know, it's like, uh, it, I think I'm changes. like you. <laughs> Where I'm like, I'm more focused on other people than myself sometimes, and so um, anyway. So, uh, so yeah. So you 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 got that doing that in Peoria, doing that important work. Um, but then uh, COVID comes around. 
well, all that stuff doesn't stop with COVID, right? <laughs> so you were still you were still in there doing all that. Exactly. Did you guys have to change anything uh, noticeably due to COVID in your processes? Not really. Uh, work as usual. Um, you know, everybody do the CDC recommendation and mandates. Uh, masking, hand sanitizing, limiting uh, visitors. Which is just part of it. It's part of any, you know, pandemic. Yeah. Uh, especially well, like one when, of the things I said about people when they're skeptical of masks. I'm like, like doctors were already wearing masks. Like, why do you think they were doing that? <laughs> when they were doing a surgery or something, like, oh, masks don't do anything to stop diseases. Like, I'm pretty sure I've seen doctors wearing masks for a long time and washing their hands thoroughly. So... Like I don't think I don't think masks and hand washing are a hoax. I think you can yeah. believe in those. But anyway, yeah, that was actually John Hopkins. Um, there was a good story about how gloves came up. There was this uh, physician who I think he founded or was one of the founders of John Hopkins, and he had his routine of like cleaning his hands with like chemicals before surgery, and um, his assistant also did the same thing as well. And, you know, after months and years of this, just took a toll on her hands. Mm-hmm. So he contacted Goodyear and said, hey, I need these specifics, you know, can you help me out? And made some specific, like, hand covers for her and helped her out so much that uh, others noticed. And that's kind of how oh, we... interesting. Got to our gloves got now. Those plastic you know, masks. I mean, yeah, plastic Florence, gloves. Yeah. yeah, Florence Nightingale started with the washing of the hands and uh, more, con- you know, connection with the germs and patients. Uh-huh. But uh, with you know COVID, uh, you know, it's, it's it's still out there, and it's the Delta variant is very serious. Um, you know, I had a conversation earlier about you know what's going on with COVID and what's happening now. It seems like it's more people are getting infected than they had last year. The the shutdown was not to like eliminate COVID. It was to help get, number one, get a stockpile. Get a stockpile, rep up um, engines that were not available at the time. Uh, PPE, that's protective um, equipment personal protective equipment, mm-hmm. uh, vaccinations, getting those up to a level, and also trying to decrease the amount or overload on the system, um, which, you know, it did a decent job. But now that we are more active, the new variants, you know, the vaccines, a vaccine does not say 100% protective. That's the, the misnomer that everybody thinks. Uh, that's why they say to get vaccinated and now still wear a mask. You have decreased your, you know, possibility of going to hospital, but it didn't say eliminate. It said decrease. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things I, I like to, I, I shared this with uh, one of the patients as I was giving the vaccine. Um, she had. Yeah, so, I, so yeah, we got to. I, um, so that's something I, I don't think I'd mentioned before, or maybe I did at the very beginning. But anyway, this was the time when you started working a high V, giving out back COVID vaccinations now, right? Yeah. So in and, late 2020? And CVS. Or, or CVS too? Yeah. Okay. So 
Um, so you're giving out. Um, you're one doing of those vaccines guys. for. You know, it's a health you know health issue, and I'm, I've been vac- I've been vaccinating pharmacists since 2002. Okay. So is that a special certification you need to have? Well, 2004, to, actually. Sorry. To yeah. be able to administer vaccines, you have to do some training for that? You have to do uh, specialized training through American Pharmacists Association, okay. which is X amount of hours, and you have to do practices as well. Um, was Do you know if finding people with that training was a bottleneck to administering the vaccines? Like, were, you, were your skills in high demand at that time? Um... There were some that there was a limited amount of uh, vaccinated pharmacists. With the pandemic, they were able to get more vaccinated pharmacists and technicians as well. Okay, train people up. So you have to train them up. Um, you know, the way I look at vaccines is, you know, people ask questions all the time about vaccines. I said, you know, if you are out in the woods, okay, I was in the woods just recently, you out in the woods and you come across a, a wolf. Okay, that wolf sees you as meat. Okay, mm-hmm. that's a wild type. That's the wild type corona. Okay, you get you know attacked by the wolf. You go to the hospital. You get better. You know a couple months later you go back out to the woods. There's a different wolf. That's a different wild type. It doesn't matter if that previous wolf, you know, almost demolished you. That next wolf doesn't see that. Uh huh. That next wolf just sees. An opportunity. Yeah. With the vaccine, it's like you get a puppy. So, say for instance, you get a uh, Irish Wolfhound Wolf hybrid. Okay. So you train it up as a, a baby. Okay. You love on it, and you make it your companion. Now, you go to the woods with your companion. There's a wolf now. Okay. Uh-huh. The vaccine or your wolf hybrid hound that you have your vaccine is going to protect you. You know? It might not, you know, it might, number one, A, kill the wolf. It might maim the wolf or, you know, it might not do as well, but it's protecting you. Yeah. Giving you enough time to get out of the way. Sure. Sure. So that's the way I look at the vaccine. You know? Uh, people are like, oh, well, why do I need this? Well, it's protecting you. And that illustration, you know, no matter which wild type you get, it doesn't matter. It doesn't know you. It just sees a host. So if, uh, in that in that analogy, um, so people, I think some people are in the perception that if they got COVID, they can't get it again. That's not accurate, right? Right. That wolf got you. Yeah. Then you got well. Uh-huh. You went to the hospital. You survived it. <laughs> but there's another wolf that's out there. Yeah. So that's one of the objections I've heard to vaccines. Like, well, I already got it and I recovered, so I'm immune now. And that's you get some immunity. Yeah. But you know, you just know that. Oh wow, when I see the shape of a wolf, I know to run. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's that's what immunity it looks like if you got it. Like, what is that over there? Yeah. And it kind of looks like a wolf. Hmm. <laughs> this is before you know, without vaccine, like, oh, that's a wolf. Okay, and it's too late. The wolf got you. Yeah. Now, you know, you've gotten bit by the wolf and you're taken care of. You still don't have the vaccine. And you're out in the forest and you're looking like that. Oh, yeah. Yep, I remember. I, I remember. Now. That's that wolf. Wolves are pretty fast, though. <laughs> Even if you're running, they can get you. Yeah. Um, 
So another thing I hear from people is that it it still categorized as emergency use only, so it hasn't been thoroughly tested and vetted. Mm-hmm. So uh, what's the what's the deal on that? Well, <laughs> what's your reaction it, to that? You know, it's emergency because it you know they had previous uh, vaccines that were similar to this, but not exactly for the Corona SARS coronavirus two. Um, at the same time, uh, you know, one of my friends uh, posted, which was kind of interesting to me. Uh, so, yes, it's emergency use vaccine, but if you don't get the vaccine, you're going into you get COVID, you go to the hospital. All the medication cocktails that they have. Those are experimental as well. Uh, okay. Those okay. are not, you know, haven't been founded. But so you're willing to, you know, it's one or the other, you know. I'm willing to take a chance that this vaccine is going to help protect me. Or I'm taking a chance that my body is still good enough that if I did get the, vac- get the virus, and I've had healthy patients who've gotten the virus, who have been on the ventilator for six weeks so you've oh okay oh man so it all it all comes back connected so you've seen people come through through kindred who have been ventilated because again we have this perception like okay well i'm ventilated for a bit that's fine they pull the tube out then i go about my merry way but if that lasts more than the you know six seven eight days they're in for a very long recovery period with covid you're not just respiratory you're also mental um, it, it works with your cognition. It does um, havoc on your blood, so you get clots easily, and you know respiratory. And so, you know, you, you're given all of these things. You get a cocktail. These are all still, quote unquote, experimental. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. do you do the vaccine that is experimental, that you know that you have a possibility of decreasing your severity of it, or getting that wild type? And getting these experimental drugs yeah. that hopefully will do what they're supposed to do to take care of it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like prevention or, uh, you know, what is it, proactive or reactive? Yeah. You want to be proactive about it or reactive? Either way, this whole thing's new. It's a novel coronavirus, right? So and this whatever is the seventh kind of treatment one. you get. Yeah, this is the seventh, one, seventh coronavirus that we've been exposed to uh-huh. in recent history. Whatever uh, whatever treatment you get is going to be experimental. So if you do it, I mean, it's going to be emergency. Right. So if you do it on the front end or the back end, it's going to be new. But, um, yeah, okay, interesting. So, yeah, I, I cut you off talking about the story of someone you were vaccinating. But I imagine there's been a lot of, uh, I imagine it's been an emotional experience for some. Oh. <laughs> for a lot of people. Oh, every single one. Um I love my patients, and whenever I'm giving them vaccines, uh, they are just overwhelmed, you know, uh, especially when it was really limited. Mm-hmm. So many people are like, I'm just glad that I was able to get it so I can see my grandkids. Yeah, yeah. Um, some, I just want to be, help everybody else. You know, um, the patients, I had so many great patients. One patient, you know, I was working a shift, and she brought me a rose. Oh. Uh, another one uh, brought me uh, a Starbucks, you know, and it was just, I, I didn't expect it, and it was just so, it's just an act of beauty, 
um, that I'm, I'm here to help you and serve you. And they just grace me with that. So, you know, uh, your pharmacists love you to, you know, they, they enjoy you, you know, and they're there for you. They're never there trying to be malice to you or bring malevolent to you. Um, and that's just one of the things that, you know, whenever you go to the pharmacy, just say hello. Tell them thank you. They've had a hard day. Uh, sometimes they might smile, but a lot of times they have had a hard day, um, and they just need a little bit of grace. Mm-hmm. You know, if it takes an extra time, okay. Yeah. yeah. Those early days must have been weird. People clamoring for the vaccinations, and that's how I got my first one, was just hearing through the grapevine that there were some extra ones somewhere, and we're, everyone's calling everyone, <laughs> running around. And it's so I, I was joking about my friend that, you know, when I was... When I was in my 20s, if someone said, oh, I got some extra shots at my house, my man, I got some extra shots, not at my house, I got some extra shots available for you, come on over. That was a very different thing. Very different thing. <laughs> and it's, it's kind of very interesting, you know, from April until now, how April, you know, the restriction was so much that people didn't know about it, you know? Oh, I need to get it, I need to get it. We, we're not even three months out. And... We have more vaccines, but not everybody wants to get it. Yeah. So situation now, there's there's enough vaccine for everybody, right? Hopefully. Okay. Everyone who wants it. Yes. Yeah. The bottleneck is people wanting to get it at this point. Right. And, you know, with this new Delta variant, there's a lot of things that are coming out through the CDC. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more transmissible. It's um, highly contagious. And um, individuals who have been vaccinated, you know, what I said earlier, when you get vaccinated, it's not saying that you're going to be 100% protected. You decrease the severity of it. Okay? So, you know, if this Delta variant happened, you know, six months ago, the death tolls would be higher. Regardless. Yeah. we got people vaccinated. And yes, there are some people that are vaccinated who are, you know, has their health has been decreased. Yes, they're going to get, but not to the severity yeah. in which we were seeing last year that's the thing that keeps messing with me about it is i'm trying to go through my own personal calculus on what types of risk reward situations we're in is those cases of like long-term consequences that people have over obtaining it right um long-term mental uh mental consequences respiratory consequences um and so, I mean, there's definitely been periods where I've said, you know what, I'm young, I'm healthy. If I just get the darn thing and then get over it and then go off my life, like, that seems better than not being able to see my friends or my, my parents, you know. But it's that, that risk that we still don't know about that really kind of freaks me out, especially when I think about my kids, and mm-hmm. too, you know. Yeah, like, same here. I think it's horrible that... Bloom, uh, I don't know if District 87 announced yet, but I'm 99% sure they're going to require masks, whether that's right or wrong. I, I think it's really unfortunate. My son, junior high, he's going to go through that year not not like being able to see people's facial expressions, not being able to hear each other as well. Like that's just a that's it's a really <laughs> it's a really lame way to spend sixth grade, right? And so I start feeling like, oh gosh, we're being overly careful, but then. 
Man, if he like, if he gets something at yeah, age you, eleven that affects his whole life, affects his like physical abilities for his whole life, right? Is man, it? it's just a big risk. You know, ninety percent of ninety ninety five percent of individuals now have the DPT. You know, diphtheria, pertussis, mm-hmm. tetanus, and we get it without a, a, a thought. You know, and we do not know the real effects of those. You know, diphtheria, mm-hmm. it's putrid throat. Check it out. It's, it's heinous. <laughs> uh, you know, tetanus, lockjaw, another heinous one. Yeah. Uh, pertussis, whooping cough. For adults, it's not bad, but for kids, that's why a lot of kids died early on, <laughs> you know, before the vaccines happened. You know, you know, it's kind of like you got a... Uh, you do have uh, these, this DPT vaccine where you go out and just step on any rusty nail. Mm-hmm. Nah, no, 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 I'm not going to do that. You're going to step in some fecal matter? Why, why would I do that? You've been vaccinated. You'll be safe. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, that's the same. You have to think about it that way. Like, oh, wait a minute. I protected from those things from vaccines. Um, yeah, and you know it is hard that this has been a hard last couple of years uh, for everybody. Uh, you know, my kids are I did pre-K, kindergarten, first grade, third grade, fourth grade through the pandemic, and yes, it's changed. You know, but you know my kids do have some other medical issues that happen. Mm-hmm. The reason I do the things I'm doing is for not because of me, but because of them. Yeah. Uh, if yeah. I was just lending, like you said, why not? But at the same time, I want to take care of them. Yeah. And it's it's a, it's a point of maturity, basically. Um, some people are mature enough, you know. There are some 55-year-olds that are not mature. <laughs> it's the point of maturity mm-hmm. in which you can deal with it and understand it. Yeah. And go forward. It's just—it's just a shame. There's been so much, um, so much misinformation and out there. And, and when I say that, I don't just mean misinformation saying it's not a big deal. I also see misinformation saying it's a big deal, which doesn't help anything either. Like I'll read a news story say like, "Oh, COVID cases are spiking," and then you read the details and like it's just in two states. And you're like, "Why are you scaring me with that headline?" It makes you. It makes people skeptical that there's really something going on, you know. And so, you couple that with social media. People in their media bubbles are like, "It's a hoax. It's just like the flu." Like, and um, you just got a really bad situation where it's hard to tell. Hard to tell what the reality is. But I mean, the people on the ground working with it, like yourself. Yeah. You don't yeah. want to be. You don't want to get it. You don't want to be on a respirator, right? You know, the, yeah. The ventilator. You do not want to be on a ventilator. Um, it's hard. It's a, the long, you know, the long side, long term effects that's coming are really bad. And you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, I saw you know six, five, and older. Now I'm seeing twenty really? to fifty. Yeah. And. Every one of them, like, I thought I wasn't going to get it. I thought I couldn't get it. I thought I couldn't get it. And now you have something that your mentation, just knowing who you are, where you are, getting up to go to the restroom, it's hard. And that's the, that's the, 
the hardest part is just so many people don't understand the full effects. Yeah. And, you know, go to the CDC website. Go to the WHO website. Look up the things that are going on. Because uh, it's not just you. And the Delta variant right now is right now, but the way it's changing and, and mutating, we could have, you know, a new variant very, very soon. The way that it spreads is a virus doesn't like to just stay in one spot. It wants to replicate. And the more that it can replicate, the more that it can proliferate. You know, it's not like I'm trying to kill my host. It wants the host to be there. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So the virus is changing at such a rapid rate. We're at the Delta variant now. Don't know what's going to happen in December. It could be a yeah. complete Corona 3. I'm worried about fall. I'm thinking everything's going to get locked back down again. So, And, and that's part of it, you know. But some of them, we know how to do it this time. Exactly. Some techniques. And, you know, some of the most amazing discoveries that have been made were during pandemics. You know, if you research Isaac Newton. Okay. Look at Isaac Newton. Like his whole life. Really? Yeah. During, okay. Some of the most okay. profound um, I didn't know the theory of gravity, theory of uh, rainbows and lights. Okay. Came out, not just sitting, but it was like during his time doing bubonic plague. Yeah. School was shut down for several months, years. Yeah. Even so our system, our feudal system, the feudal system was broken down because of mm-hmm. pandemics. It changed economics completely. Yeah. Uh, so if someone wants to get vaccinated now, there's plenty of it. They can go make an appointment at their local pharmacy. Local pharmacy, call CVS, Walgreens, Hy-Vee. Okay. Um, should be able to get in relatively soon. Cool. A um, couple other things. I did have a few things scribbled down as we were talking, uh, kind of bouncing back to other things that we talked about. Um, you, you walked me through one time in a way that made sense to me how... Like, if you're at a hospital and you get, like, a tablet of Motrin, you mm-hmm. get the bill and it costs, like, 20 bucks or something like that. You, <laughs> I always thought that was just people scamming, but you kind of walked me through the logic of how, what all gets built into that cost. So, right. if, if you could break that down real quick for the public. <laughs> you know, if you get, you know, you go to a hospital and you get a medication, uh, there's several things that are going on. Number one, the nurse is con- con- uh, communicating with the physician. You know, the physician is trying to figure out what's the best medication for this patient. Uh, Age, weight, uh, do we have any other diseases that will conflict with this? Then it goes to the pharmacist to verify it. Uh, The pharmacist double checks to make sure there's no other interactions with any other medications that the patient's taking. Then from there, the technician will process the medication and then send it to, you know, the floor, and then from the floor, the nurse now comes back to ministry. And so, you know, the, the, the product cost could be a dollar, but each piece of that puzzle to get that to you mm-hmm. uh, takes time, takes effort, takes a professional mental ability to do it. You know, I've had so many people, oh, it's just in the farm. Just right back there. Just throw a label on it. Oh, yeah, I could throw a label on some cyanide and give it to you and be like, here you go. <laughs> and they're like, what is this? Oh, just take it. But why? You know? Uh, 
That's like that's what people. Yeah. Why? So you uh, you're paying for the 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 safety and the security and the, the due diligence that's being done by highly trained professionals. So, exactly. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. <laughs> well, and related to that, you said I can't just grab something off the shelf and give it to somebody. Um, I was reminded of a high school friend. He went in the Navy. He worked on a um, in a sub and a submarine and uh, part of his duties was taking care of the armory, taking care of the weapons locker and he talked about one time when they lost a grenade they could not find the grenade and everyone on the ship was trying to figure out where the grenade went and it was like it was a real (laughs) serious situation that somebody got a grenade out of the locker and we don't know where it is and they eventually found it and he didn't go into the whatever the repercussions were, but I'm assuming that weren't some pleasant conversations. So I'm uh, I'm assuming that even though when I stand up behind the counter, it looks like a whole bunch of shelves with a whole bunch of pills <laughs> and a bunch of white bags and bins that are just kind of thrown every which way. Like my assumption is everything's accounted for, right? Like you know where every tab of everything is, and if if every. that tab of codeine, if they're supposed to be 97. <laughs> And there's 96. Oh, Someone's having a serious you're problem. You're going into another right? theme because that's yeah. a that's a whole can of worms okay. of like <laughs> double checking, triple checking, triple kit forms, back counting to make sure that everything is in line and order. So yes, um, you know inventory management is a big thing in pharmacy. Each uh, pill needs to be accounted for. <laughs> Yeah. It's kind of like the grenade. Where is it at? <laughs> Nobody's going to leave this place until that's found. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I think that gives me some more sympathy, too. And um, I've had that feeling before if I showed up. My medicine wasn't ready. I'm like, like it's it's allergy nose spray. Like, just go give it to me, please. <laughs> but I'm like, well, that's probably how that guy felt when he grabbed that grenade from the armory. <laughs> Whatever. I need it. I need it. <laughs> I wonder what he was using a grenade for on a sub anyway, but I don't know if that was on the sub or if I think it was on an aircraft carrier at one point. But anyway, if there's any people from military listening that where that story didn't make sense, I'm sorry if I messed up some of the details, but um, I think you got the essence of what I was talking about. So. Um, last thing I wanted to just throw in here before we broke was uh, you come from a medical family, so uh, <laughs> so I wanted to give a shout out to Jillian and your wife too for starting up her new practice. Yep, Ivy Rehab for Kids, um, physical therapy, occupational therapy, and speech, um, especially with kids, is something different. It's not for physical therapy; it's knowing your body in space. So kids who can't walk or crawl or roll. Um, Torticollis is big, where they're leaning to one side, especially newborns. Um, Occupational therapy, a lot of sensory issues. Uh, They're having some sensory uh, changing of transitions. That's a big thing. Speech therapy helps with feeding. Um, And then developmental therapy as well. So it's uh, exciting. Um, So yeah, Jillian... McGriff uh, is at Ivy Rehab at Ivy Kids off of uh, College and Veterans, right behind uh, Wingstop or next to Jewel Osco. Okay. Yeah, so if uh, she's just building up her practice, so if you've got uh, a need for kids' physical occupational speech therapy in town, go ahead and check them out. I'm sure they're looking for some, uh, I'm sure they've got some. 
capacity to take on people right now? <laughs> I assume. I think so. Think They're so? always open. Yeah, you know? always wanting more. Always wanting more. Uh, you know, trying yeah. to make sure that you know the kids are taken care of. Yeah. Again, that's you know just about the patients. I was a little hesitant. We'd had a little um, occupational therapy done for one of my children, and I was pretty hesitant at first, but. Just a few sessions really made a world of difference for me in understanding um, how people can have their individual differences mm-hmm. and general advice that works for 95% of the kids might not work for the other 5% and you might need to do some things very differently. And uh, that's been, oh gosh, seven years now. I still use some of the techniques I learned from the occupational therapists that we work with on. So, nice. um, so yeah, I, I feel like it's kind of like counseling where people are a little hesitant to get into it, right? And <laughs> and then you uh, get into you like, wow, I really need this. Why did I wait so long? You know. So <laughs> if you're if you're struggling with something with your with your children, um, you know, I, there's no harm in going and talking nope. to somebody. And yeah. the same with mental health. Mental health is really big. Yeah. You know, you make sure if you have questions it's okay to be not okay yeah I think it's I think the stigma of mental health is kind of fading because I know a lot of people and especially men now I will find will say to me like I was just casually I was talking to my therapist about this and da 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 I go to counseling hey um, I do too (laughs) and it's just it's just good to have somebody to talk to and uh, you don't have to it's not admitting that you're like weak or crazy or something it's just hey i got some stuff in my head i need to work it out and i need someone to listen and and give me some perspective on things you know that's true i think more people need that yeah especially these days it's a lot of (laughs) a lot of stuff on our minds man so yes sir all right well uh well, I really enjoyed uh, talking to you. We didn't get a single interruption the whole time. It's probably the longest continuous conversation you and I have had without <laughs> somebody asking us for a juice box or saying someone hit somebody or something like that. So it's, uh, it was a treat. Uh, yeah, same here. Yeah, thanks for what you do. And I can tell you have a real, you have a real passion for it. And uh, that, that comes through when you speak about it. So I appreciate you sharing that with, the, with well, me. Thank you for asking. That's, uh, you know, I enjoy being here. Yeah. All right, and uh, if you want to also enjoy being here, anybody can come over to Little Beaver Brewery on Five Finance Drive. The patio is really popular today. It's such a beautiful day out here. We're recording this on Sunday. And uh, check out the menu for sure. The burger is top-notch. The pizzas are good. And they always got a rotating option of, what is that, 24 beers? Yeah, I think so. A lot of them up there. Got a, got a, got a beer for... Uh, Whatever you need. If you're not sure what you want, just go and talk to the bartenders. They know what's going on. They can help direct you to where you need to go. All right. And we are done.